Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you, Rachel, and thank you, everyone else who has joined us again for another edition of In All Things. This is a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, or we call it the EPC. And initially, we hope this to help serve and, and support EPC congregations and presbyteries, elders, deacons, staff, but we hope as, as time comes along that some of these episodes will have a broader application and that you might be sharing these with your neighbors, friends, coworkers, family members, other folks who follow Jesus, uh, that they would be encouraged by the content that they would hear. And I think today is an example of that. We'll be welcoming today a good friend of mine, Tom Ricks, who has become the new uh, national coordinator for the EPC in church planting. And church planting is not a thing that's unique to the EPC. In fact, it's been going on for all oh, a couple thousand years now. But the EPC is is really doubled down with a, a strong commitment the last number of years, and Tom has been at the helm helping to lead that. And uh, we'll be talking with him in just a few seconds. A couple of notes as your stated clerk, as uh, those of you who are tuning in, perhaps uh, you're on the treadmill right now and you know, you're working out and listening to this. And I will tell you that the Office of the General Assembly is on an annual treadmill too. We by the time you're hearing this, I think you will probably, uh, if you're part of one of our congregations, have turned in your annual church report. And boy, that sounds awfully exciting. I know that you're really excited about that or you're wondering what in the world that is. But as someone reminded me at one of our Presbytery meetings, minutes matter, uh, meetings matter. And these reports actually do make a difference because it's one of the ways in which we're able to have uh, metrics that we can measure for example, how many adult baptisms did we have last year? How many people are participating in world outreach, uh, global missions, or how many people are in our benefits program, or how are people doing in terms of anything from church membership to attendance? I mean, a lot of those metrics are changing right before our very eyes, but it gives us a sense of, of uh, if we kind of put our finger up and kind of can feel which way the wind is blowing, how we're doing as a denomination, and it gives us all kind of interesting data that some of us data nerds dig down into and, and help us figure out how to recalibrate something. So your time and investment in something like the annual church report actually does matter, and we want to thank you uh, for taking the time to get that in in a timely manner. Also, by way of some deadlines coming up April 1st, we will be beginning to sign up for General Assembly uh, this year. And there'll be more of that coming out in all of the usual communication channels through the EPC. So please pay attention to that and be sure to pass that information on, whether it's to your pastor or to your elders. Sometimes that the flow of information doesn't get into the hands of all the people that need it. And if you would help us do that, that would be a great service as well. We've got some great things coming up this summer at our General Assembly that's going to be in Detroit, Michigan at Ward EPC Church. The verse for that uh, General Assembly is X 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. The theme is entitled Recharge. Some great preaching, some great stuff in global missions, and a real heavy concentration, uh, whether it's through church planning or whether it's through church health 
Global Outreach, or Effective Biblical Leadership in our Leadership Institute on evangelism, exegeting our culture, some of the key issues of our culture, and giving people some of the real practical tools so that they can comfortably share their faith with others. And uh, I really hope that you'll consider making that a priority. It's always the third week of June every summer. Okay, so let's get down into the content for today. We're grateful to have here with us at EPC Global Headquarters, highly ensconced on the fifth floor of Citadel One in uh, Orlando, Florida. Someone who's uh, a dear friend and um, EPC pastor. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, Tom is uh, not only our national director of church planning, but he just recently retired and he's growing a retirement beard, although you can't see that on a podcast. He's uh, just recently retired after 23 years as the founding pastor of Green Tree Community Church in the St. Louis area. You look like you're all in one piece. You actually have kind of a healthy look about you. Having retired after all of these years of faithful ministry, Tom, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great because I'm at the world headquarters here in Orlando and not in St. Louis where they're experiencing winter. So anytime you want me to come in February, you just let me know I'm, I'm your guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, it's great to, uh, to be with you. Boy, it's been, you know, the last couple months of saying goodbye or at least see you later to the folks at Green Tree, an emotional roller coaster after, you know, two plus decades, but we had a wonderful celebration and, uh, we're not moving, so we'll still be in the community. And, and after that transition settles down, hopefully we'll, we'll continue on with that spiritual family. But it's been a roller coaster, but, it, but it's also been exciting just to look forward to what's uh, going to be happening in these next few years. I've been doing it very part-time, as you know, for the last 10 years. And now to wake up in the morning and go, I can think about church planting all day. That's, you know, it's starting to kind of rev my engine a little bit of time before I start full-time, but I'm getting pretty pumped. And we're getting pumped to have you dedicate. I mean, we've enjoyed really great progress uh, in the last number of years, and you've only been doing this as a side gig with your full-time job at the church. So we can't imagine what's going to happen now that you're going to be released full-time into this. And I had someone yesterday ask me, you know, what is it that wakes you up in the morning and and gets your engines uh, moving? And for you, I know that's church planning. You love church planters. You love church plants. You love the gospel going out to people increasingly in our society who have no background in this whatsoever, totally different, uh, almost reboot in terms of how to do church planning. So we're just really excited about that. Thank you. Thank you. So give us, a, first of all, for people who don't know you or maybe new to the EPC, give us a little bio. Tell us, you know, where you grew up, your family, all that kind of good stuff. Born and raised in Kirkwood, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis, uh, the third of three kids. My dad was a cop. He was a detective, major case squad kind of guy. All right. Is it, is it true that the kids of cops are always the worst growing up? Well, I'll put it to you this way. If you got in trouble at my house, you would have been safer in jail <laughs> than, than with that. So, okay, gotcha. uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we pulled a few shenanigans, but, uh, Dad was was a cop. Mom was uh, uh, worked as an uh, administrative assistant. My mom was a Christian. My dad wasn't growing up. Dad became a believer later in life. But mom had us in church every Sunday. And you and I were in a meeting yesterday where they were asking us to share when we came to faith. And I came to faith in a children's Sunday school program when I was about five or six years old at the church where mom had us. So I've been a believer and a follower of Jesus for a long, long time, uh, now into my 60s. But grew up there, went uh, went away to college, went into student ministry. A lot of people do youth ministry. I, I, I went that route, eventually got to seminary, 
I graduated, was ordained in the EPC. I've only been in the EPC, was ordained in 94, working at Central Presbyterian Church in St. Louis. And then out of Central, had the opportunity to actually go back to my hometown of Kirkwood and plant a church there. There was a group of folks who all realized they were leaving Kirkwood to go to church somewhere else, and it made it very difficult for them as they talked to their neighbors, as they engaged, you know, the folks on their Little League team who lived in Kirkwood to say, hey, why don't you come check out church with me? You know, what about what about your you know your faith journey? And by the way, my church is ten miles that way, yeah. and so they were uh, felt very strongly about starting a new work in that community. So I got a chance to start with them in 1998 and be part of that. Married to Cindy for 40 plus years, she was my high school sweetheart. Uh, we have three children and we have seven grandchildren. Our kids are. Uh, our youngest is a son. He's actually living and working in St. Louis. He's single. Our next closest child will be our oldest, which is also a son. And he's in Laguna Niguel, California with his wife and four kids. And then our daughter, who's the, she's the rose between the two thorns. She lives on Oahu. She and her husband and their three kids live uh, in Honolulu. They have a family business there. So we're all over the map. And I know that's just a, a real burden for you to have to go and visit your daughter and her family. And I've seen your pictures on social, how you right. suffer for that. Yeah, the glow on my face is not because I've, you know, I've stepped away from <laughs> having to preach every Sunday. It's because I just got back from Hawaii. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. that's so, the, honest, the honest answer to that question. And what a double blessing, right? So you get to be in Hawaii, but with your grandchildren. So yeah. that's, that's not a bad gig. You know, it, it was, it was, I was there for about eight days. It was just a, a wonderful time. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. So that's me in a nutshell and passionate about church planting. Did you go to Covenant by chance? Which one? I went to Covenant Church in no, St. Seminary. Louis, and then I went to Covenant College on Lookout Mountain, and then I went to Covenant Seminary. Oh, you are a Covenant Twice. Guy. I went for my master's and then for my doctorate. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you remind me of Jesus in so many ways, but let me just pick <laughs> out one. And that is to say, Jesus really, it's fascinating when you go to Israel, when you realize he spends most of his three years, 90% of his three years, in a really small geographic space between yeah. these three towns in Galilee. And you really have spent the vast majority of your life in actually that space between basically St. Louis and Kirkwood. Kirkwood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and have thrived there in this kind of incarnational ministry where you really were getting to the sort of neighborhood church phenomenon, which maybe we'll talk about in a little bit, but you've done that. Like yeah. that's been your, that's your life story really. And, and what's shocking to me, Dean, is yes, we're very focused on kind of a, a parish model. You know, let's, let's start in Jerusalem before we go to Judea and Samaria. And so we wanted to make sure that there was an evangelical presence in Kirkwood that was reformed. But when I look back on it now and see how God has exponentially grown that and the influence that that has had, I'm dumbfounded by how just kind of our focus in being in Kirkwood and also planting other churches in our region has been used by God, I don't know how many times over. That's extraordinarily humbling, and, and I'm just so grateful for it. And that's partly why I think it's in our vision statement. We refer to church planting as multiplication. Yes. It maybe it's like insider speak. You know, we need to unpack that and just say what it is. Sure. But that's that's what church planting is, really. It's, it's, it's multiplying and spreading out the gospel through people in different communities. And Absolutely. And, and my, my humble opinion, it might not be humble, is that community church has a real place, especially now in our culture. And so when, when Green Tree began, we said we wanted to be a community church that planted other community churches that would reach their 
neighborhoods, their you know surrounding areas, so that folks in those specific communities would hear the gospel, and then that we just continue to duplicate that. Your love for church planning comes out of the fact that you've actually did it, and you actually have lived it, and then that has continued to grow out of Green Tree. But that blessing hasn't just stayed in St. Louis; it's really spread all across the country and the EPC has enjoyed the benefit over these last, I don't know, eight or 10 years of this kind of purposeful focus. Why, if a person's listening in and they, they're in a church that was established for some time and they're struggling to make sure. their budget and they're just trying to figure out when the dust settles after COVID, you know, what, who's going to be there, who's not going to be there. And they've been just really, you know, why should they care about church planning? Why should your average believer who's, you know, right now listening to us, you know, while they're driving to work. Why is this so close to the heart of God? Why are you so passionate about it? Why should they care about it? Well, I think there's a a fundamental question that every disciple of Jesus has to ask themselves, and that is, where am I and how am I being evangelistic in my life? Jesus very specifically told us, go and make disciples. You will be my witnesses. And the first step in discipleship making is coming to Christ in faith. And that might be a quick process. You know, maybe you, you know, you heard an inspirational speaker and the Holy Spirit moved and you came to faith. It may have been because you were in a relationship with a Christian over a series of years and and the Lord used that to finally influence you to put your faith in Christ. But every disciple is to be a disciple maker, is to be a multiplier of disciples. So as individuals, we need to ask ourselves, you know, where am I in my neighborhood? Where am I in the school I attend if I'm a student? Where am I in my workplace where I am intentionally praying and looking for opportunities to share Jesus with other folks? So if we do that individually, then it only makes sense that corporately when a bunch of us individuals get together and and create and participate in something like a Presbyterian denomination, that we would ask the same question collectively. And when you get to that question, then church planting makes sense because there are many communities in our country, believe it or not, that don't have a gospel message resounding in those communities. And we need new congregations because that's how Jesus works. He works through his church. He calls us to fellowship. He calls us to worship and he calls us to discipleship and he calls us to share that message collectively. So church planting is something that everybody ought to care about and everybody ought to be involved in. Now, that doesn't mean that every church is a parent, you know, church planting church. So there's three categories you guys refer to. Why don't you tell people about those three categories? And the reason for those three categories is this, Dean. When our team got together and started out in 2011, we said that we wanted one of our yardsticks for measurement of success was not how many churches we planted, but how many EPC churches were involved in church planting. So in our minds, we want every EPC church to be involved actively in church planting. And there's three ways. And there's three ways to do that. And so you have a parent church. The church I was fortunate to pastor for many years was a parent church. We gave birth to other congregations. So we hired the church planter. We created the core team. We invested financially. And we just like think about having and raising kids and then laughing at them while they mess with their grandkids. I've had some fun with some of my church plants that are now trying to plant churches. But you do it from start to finish, and it's apparent. The second is a partner, and that's where we're seeing a lot of networks crop up around the country. And so you may have 
six or seven churches in a region that say, well, we can't do this individually, but collectively we could invest. And as we do that, we can, we can see churches being planted. This is especially going to be important when we talk about socioeconomically challenged communities and the diversity that we want to see in church and planting. smaller and smaller churches, smaller churches. Yeah. Even to, to house churches. And we can talk more about that later if we want, but partnerships are going to be very important. You know, what five or six churches can do together. That's why the presbyteries work for us. If five or six churches come together, they can invest, they can support. And then there's patron, which is either an individual congregation or an individual, a member of the EPC saying, I want to be an investor in church planting. God's blessed me in some ways. And financially, I want to pass that blessing on. I think it was about three years ago, we received uh, a quarter of a million dollar uh, gift from someone who wanted to be a patron of church planting. So if you look at all three of those levels, there's nobody that can look at that model and say, well, there's no room for us. You know, there's a place for everybody. To give people some more context, let's turn to how church planting today has got to be really, really different than it was even just a couple of years ago. Because I don't, growing up, I never could have imagined that, say, any one of the kids that I graduated from high school with, even if they weren't really church kids, they knew about Noah's Ark and they they knew about some of the basic stories of the Bible. And they, if I mentioned the New Testament, they knew that that was somehow after the Old Testament. I mean, you know, and they could point to a church somewhere and, you know, they might've had good experiences, bad experiences, maybe no experiences, but they were familiar. I'm hearing from church planners today and a lot of the places that you're being strategic about going, that they're among people who literally have no context. I mean, zero context for anything related to Christianity. What are your church planners coming back and telling you where you're planning, what is the reality and and why then is a church plant such an important place to contextualize that conversation? That's a a wonderful observation, uh, sadly, because it's so true. We are are beyond post-Christian and the vast majority of people in our country, in our culture. I want to stop there and I want you to say it again because, you know, Max Dupree says the number one job of leaders to define reality. And I think there's people who, when they hear you say that, their eyes sort of glaze over and they haven't really accepted it. So say it one more time with preacher like authority. Well, my hometown of St. Louis is a good example of that because we're in the middle of the country. Yeah. So, you know, we're on the cutting edge of things like baseball world championships, of course. But uh, (laughs) sorry, rub that in a little bit for your Pittsburgh Pirates. That's all right. We'll Um, talk hockey later. But it's, you know, so places in St. Louis where a lot, you know, probably statistically a lot more people still go to church. But that number's decline. I mean, it's coming. So it, we are definitely living in a post-Christian era. And the vast majority of the people in the United States of America do not know anything at all about the Bible. Maybe know the name of Jesus because somebody uses it, you know, as a, as a curse word. Or they maybe their grandmother took them to church at some point, that sort of thing. But there, we're talking, you know, an absolute dearth of biblical understanding, and that is just simply going to continue to grow. Without that message, people are not less spiritual. I mean, the Bible tells us where our level of spirituality is. We're all made in the image of God, but we're, you know, we're not growing up in a quote-unquote Christian culture anymore. I was watching a show the other night 
that has nothing to do with Christianity? Is it a drama? And I was watching on one of the cable networks. And one of the characters said to somebody who was being critical of him, well, you're either Mordecai or you're Haman. And he moved right on. And I thought to myself, probably 98.7% of the audience has no idea what that line means. Right. You know, they, they know everybody didn't jump up and go, Oh, wait, the book of Esther. Yeah. It, it, yeah. and so but I was shocked probably, that they actually wrote it into the script. But they probably Googled it right after. Right? They probably <laughs> did. Like, they probably did. But that's why, again, church planting is just part of this. Our vision in the EPC of growing in evangelism is so, so important because the vast majority of our neighbors, our friends, even our family members don't know Christ. And that's our role. So church planting is a key way to begin to address that or to continue to address that, I should say. And that's it. You go back to our founding documents. You go back to why the EPC exists. There's a lot of other Presbyterian denominations out there. Why did our founders feel that there was a need for another one back in the early 80s? And it, it really comes out of that desire to be singularly focused on the Great Commission. And we just happen to know that whether it's domestic or internationally, Church planning is the way in which God's spirit moves. Now, there's. I want to talk uh, broadly about a, a trend we see in church planning, and then I want to come back and maybe have you talk about where the where you see the EPC going in church planning. So broadly, there seems to be in this movement of church planning right now more smaller churches, like neighborhood churches. The day of the big box church, I'm not saying it's over by any stretch. I think those are always going to be with us. But there does seem to be a real emphasis with, you know, Gen Z and Undown that that maybe the focus is going to be on, instead of fewer big churches, many more smaller neighborhood-type churches. Could you speak to that a little bit? Are you seeing that? Is that an accurate reflection? Yes, I, th- I think that's a very accurate reflection. And I think uh, you mentioned Gen Z. I, I would put millennials uh, in this category as well. I think there is a stronger desire to know and to be known, to know the people around me, to know my community. I mean, look at, look at social media. You can know somebody, you know, halfway around the world without actually ever meeting them. But it's a desire to, to know, but also to be known, to have a place of significance. And I think as folks grow up and mature and enter into society as adults, they realize you can't do that with 3,000 people or 4,000 people. And that's why our, our larger churches are, are so wise to do thriving small group community ministries, because you've got to break it down into those relational type of uh, environments. And because our our culture is so fluid, folks don't necessarily, you know, go to work for GM and work there the rest of their lives. Most of our younger adults will have up to five or six different career changes over the 30 or so years of their experience. So where can I know folks and be known? That's going to be in a smaller environment. I also think, tell me what your thoughts are on this. I think a corollary to, to knowing and being known is am I safe? Yes, I think I think that's a fundamental thing that happens. That someone uh, makes this calculation when they walk into a space, whether it's at work or any social environment, they scan the room, and something at a subconscious level does this: "Am I safe here? Can I be myself here? Who I'm known to be?" And let's be honest: the church hasn't always been a place where people have felt safe, and there certainly is a backlash against some of the abuses in the church over the years. So a smaller environment is not only a place where you can be known, 
but maybe in this generation that has some skepticism, a place where they might feel safe? Uh, I certainly would agree with you that the church has not always been a safe place. We know Paul says in Ephesians that as we grow up in Christ, we learn to speak the truth in love. And I think sometimes, especially in our reform circles, and I'm, how many covenants do I have in my background, right? So I'm, I'm thoroughly reformed, but we tend to lean towards the truth and don't necessarily love as well as we could. And so creating a space where someone who doesn't know Jesus can come in and hear the gospel, and it, not necessarily in a Sunday morning setting, maybe in, a, in, in, in your kitchen table over a cup of coffee or at the local Starbucks or wherever, the smaller church setting tends to lend itself to a little bit more openness, uh, which creates a, a feeling of safety. It also uh, allows for pretty good accountability because there's kind of nowhere to run and nowhere to hide when you're in a group of 30 or 40 as opposed to, you know, several thousand. And again, I, I don't want to sound like I am anti-big church because the Lord builds his kingdom how he builds his kingdom. Right. And he does that through large churches. He also does that through smaller churches and medium-sized churches. But the younger generation of church planters that I'm meeting and getting to know, they want to focus on a particular community, even maybe a particular neighborhood, because they they see the need for the gospel there, and they want to do that in a significant way. I don't think they're necessarily saying, I don't ever want the church to grow to whatever God wants it to be, but that's their starting point is how do I how do I reach this particular people group or this particular area with church plant. And it sounds like if I were to go down to what's foundational to everything you're describing, uh, being known, being safe in that environment, it sounds like the key to evangelism happening in that context is relationship. Absolutely. I think it's always been the case. Right. We have been in a country where people felt comfortable if somebody said, hey, you want to come to church with me? Maybe they went, maybe they didn't, but it it was like, well, that's normal. Yeah, it's the not... Crusades and the and the attractional model probably aren't going to work with the generations right. millennial and younger. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So it's going to be through friendships. It's yeah. going to be through relationships. No question about it. When uh, the my last three or four years at Green Tree, when I met new folks, I'd say, "Tell me how you found us. How how did you get here?" And there were there were only two answers. The first one was, "Well, we moved to town." And social media. So we, you know, we plugged in churches in Kirkwood and yours popped up. Or, and more often, I know so-and-so. And so-and-so told me this would be a great place for me or this would be a great place for me and my family. This would be a great place for my kids, whatever the case may be. It's relational. Now, I also heard people in St. Louis say they saw pictures of you on billboards all around town. That well, that, that, that notwithstanding in my, my late night commercials. That's yeah, exactly right. So, well, let's turn the corner a little bit and be EPC specific right yes. now. Do you mind if we go to a little bit of a raw place? Not at for all. For a second. We've all been kind of hitting the gut here recently. Yeah. By the time this airs, it'll probably be a number of weeks after. Yeah. This week is a particularly raw week for you and uh, for myself, for a lot of our church planners in particular, because one of those really, truly special guys who is incredibly gifted at doing this. I did it a number of different times. And if there was anybody who could build relationships in the context of community and help create that safe place where the gospel could be shared, it was our friend, Kirk. Can you go there a little bit and tell us a little bit about uh, this brother? I think this might be a good place to uh, give testimony to his legacy yeah. for those who are listening in. I will, I will try. Um, 
you probably hear in my voice that it's it is an emotional time. Uh, Kirk, I, I met Kirk and Deb when they came to St. Louis to seminary, and they came to Green Tree. We were meeting in a in a middle school cafeteria, and uh, just as Kirk Atkinson. Kirk Atkinson and Kirk and Deb Atkinson, and just was immediately drawn to him and to her. They were just wonderful folks, and Kirk really kind of got the whole idea of church planting. He really got excited about it. And he ended up during his seminary years becoming an intern for us at Green Tree. And then while they were in St. Louis, we planted our first local church. The first church Green Tree ever planted was the Crossing out in Columbia next to the University okay. of Missouri. I didn't realize you guys planted the Crossing. Oh, that's a fun story out there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll have time. I'll tell you, tell you about that story. But um, what is now Riverside, it was, a, it was a church plant in a community called Webster Groves. We had about 80 people coming to Green Tree that were living in Webster Groves. And in St. Louis, different towns next to each other have their own identities. So if you live in Kirkwood, you know, Webster Groves is, you have friends over there, but it's its own town. And so with the parish model, you know, the local church model, we wanted to help those folks who are coming to Green Tree from Webster to go back to Webster and duplicate it. But we didn't have a church planter. But Kirk stepped up and said, well, you know, I, I'd be happy to kind of take the lead and help. And so Kirk really, in a sense, while he was in seminary, was the planter. Scott Sauls was the first church planter there. Really? But even before Scott, oh my gosh. Kirk was leading that that group of, of 70 or 80 folks in that church plant. So awesome. just fell in love with Kirk and Deb. Uh, they moved to Boulder and planted in Boulder. They didn't originally plant with the EPC, much to my much to my chagrin, but uh, Green Tree supported them. Uh, a lot of folks at Green Tree supported them financially. And Kirk is just, you just sit down with him and you just, he asks you a question and you, you just, you'll tell him your life story. I mean, he's just that kind of guy. He just is open and friendly. And when he looks at you, you know, it's kind of like he's really interested. Yeah. Every once in a while, he's my looking, wife will he's say, not looking past you. That's right. Every once in a while, yeah. Cindy will say to me, Tom, you were, I watched you in that conversation. You looked right past that person. Oh, yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Not with Kirk. I mean, and, and nor Deb. They were just so genuine and caring and loving. So after uh, after Boulder, they eventually ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, and they planted All Souls Church in a very underserved community in North Purposely Nashville. Purposefully multi-ethnic, underserved Ab- absolutely, community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the work that they were doing was absolutely remarkable. I visited them on three different occasions. I remember I visited them when they first moved there. They'd only been there about a month and I went and visited them and saw the, their house and their neighborhood. And I'm like, okay, if, if anybody could do this, it's Kirk, <laughs> you know, but it was a tough, it was a tough neighborhood. And, you know, I could tell you a lot of stories. I, I won't take up our time, but Kirk uh, had cancer. Uh, Kirk went through chemotherapy and uh, I actually talked to him the day that he got his diagnosis that he was cancer free. Uh, but shortly thereafter, uh, within a few weeks, there was some kind of respiratory infection, and it came on quick and it came on strong. And within, I, I got the initial note that Kirk was in the hospital, and I think we lost him like three days later. I mean, it was very, it was very fast. I think that's why it was such a shock for all of us. He and I were texting back and forth, yeah. and I got, you know, he told me thank for the prayers and the cancer free, and yeah. and you kind of let your guard down, you know. Sure. Then you kind of exhaled and went, okay, you know, now right. he's now he's going to get on with stuff. And then right. I heard about the respiratory infection, and I thought, well, he's a big, strong guy, and you know, he'll be all right. And, well, even the second day in the hospital, it was, hey, he seems to be improving a little bit, and so it was kind of like you. I'm like, okay, good boy, you know, we we dodged something bad there. And then the next the next text I got the next day was 
Kirk's doctor just told Deb he has three to four days to live. We're all, you know, you and I as pastor for years have know what the stages of grief are, and I think we're all kind of stuck in shock uh, at this point, and uh, maybe will be for a while. Yeah. But uh, I do. Can I mention one other thing about yeah. this? Because I was uh, emailing with an EPC pastor friend uh, yesterday, and I'm going to leave him anonymous and his church anonymous. But he said, any expense, we'll cover the whole thing. We'll take care of it. That's one of the things I love about my denomination. People, we, we if anybody can plant local churches, it's the EPC because we get relationships. They're so important to us. They're our lifeblood, our relationship with the Lord Jesus, but then our relationship with one another. And I didn't call this guy and ask him for anything. He just said, hey, you know, I, I, I know Kirk, great guy. My church, it, I don't know if there are extra expenses, but whatever it is, you just let me know. So those of you who are listening in and wonder, why do we have a national director of church planting? So he can uh, sit around and cry. <laughs> that's over exactly this right. That's exactly right. You've just heard why we hired Tom Ricks uh, to be our national church planting guy. And uh, just loves Jesus, loves the church, loves EPC. And I appreciate your heart, man. Thanks, so, man. Thank you. So uh, let's end with this. Where are we right now? Give us a little bit of a the EPC in terms of you know, we've got about 637, officially 637 churches. Give or take one or two. Give or you take one. You got that number right on the tip of your tongue. Well, I, you know, that number has been on the tip of my tongue for a couple months now. So it could be All right, like I got to get to work. Yeah. I got to get going. That's exactly right. Percentage, how many church plants do we have? That I mean, there's probably ones that we don't know about because not everybody tells us what they're doing. But like, how many do we have? Uh, what what percentage? What's your, what, what's the team's goal? What's next? We said when we started on, out on this in 2011, you know, the notion is you got to walk before you crawl. We had to roll over in the crib before we could stand up. And that's where we were with church planting. So I feel like we're kind of taking some good steps. We have approximately 53 active church plants today. I say approximately because you guys in the Presbyterian of the Alleghenies that are listening to us, I appreciate you calling me and telling me three years after you've planted four churches that they're <laughs> up and running. Right. And I am kind of glad they don't need my help. That's really wonderful. But we have about 53, which is about seven and a half percent of our of our overall numbers. We would like to get to a solid 10%. Uh, so for us right now, that would be about 600, or excuse me, about 64 be about 11 more church plants. And so as far as just in any given year, we feel like if we have about a 10% number, uh, we're, we're in a very healthy place. Ed Stetzer says healthy is six to 7%. Uh, so we're there, but I just, the opportunities are, are so much greater than just that number. We don't want to, Oh, you know, we made it look what we're doing. We want to, we want to keep that growing. And we believe that the EPC is fully capable by God's empowerment to hit that number. So a uh, little commercial, shameless uh, commercial, uh, Ed Stetzer's coming to General Assembly this next yes. year, and uh, he's going to be joined by Jimmy Scroggins, who's a prolific church planner too. And so how to have an evangelistic culture in your church or a church planning culture in your presbytery, those are things that are going to be on the table for our discussion, and we'll be really excited about that. And so people can come to GA, can hear, learn more, and certainly, if nothing else, they can be praying about how the EPC can get to that 10% number and how they might themselves be a, a parent, patron, or a partner. I'm actually meeting with a local uh, session tonight and talking to them because they are committed. They're in. They've already started setting money aside, but they said, we're not sure what we're doing or can you help us get started? And that's one of the things we do. So 
if we expect every church to participate, then we ought to make sure that we're giving our churches what they need to participate. So coming to General Assembly is good, but you can always email, you can always reach out to us, ask us to help you. That's what we're here. We're, we're not sitting in an off somewhere saying, now here's where you're going to church plant. We're here to serve folks that want to be active in church planting. We want to help the EPC embrace this and, and dive into it as we really focus on the need for evangelism in our culture. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Tom. Appreciate so much your time with us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the fact that you're going to be meeting with that church this afternoon and just appreciate you and your heart, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great great to be here. All right. So everybody be praying for Tom Ricks. Uh, he's got some uh, great work yet ahead of him, and uh, I know he'll value your prayers and support and love as we do for all of the things God is doing through the EPC. So let us uh, end well, my friends, as we often do from God's Word, from Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. And that includes church plants and church planters, which is an interesting breed, by the way. We're going to have to come back. Maybe part two of our discussion is we'll come back and talk about the crossing and the interesting breed that are church planters. So, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. Until next time, my friends, grace and peace. May the Lord be with you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.